KJAMS 105.3. It's in there pretty with me, your favorite radio reverend. Preach easy in the morning. And now is my favorite time in the morning. Time to go ahead and dive on into the word. But before we go ahead and get started, let's go ahead and do some breathing exercises. First, go ahead and exhale. Breathe on out all of those heartaches, those problems, those issues, those stressors that you didn't have for the past week. Go ahead and just breathe them out. Just Now that you got space in your lungs and in your spirit, let's go ahead and fill it up with what God has for you this week. Go ahead and breathe on in the blessings, the goodness, the hopes, the promises, and the dreams that God got for you this week. Go ahead. Breathe it on in. And now we set and ready. The stage is set. Let's go ahead and dive into what we got for today. If this is your first time with me, then allow me to reintroduce myself. They call me Preach Easy, not because I'm easy on the eyes, but because I believe the gospel should be easy like your Sunday morning. Now, that's not saying we don't have those real tough, nitty-gritty conversations here. That's just saying those questions you ask yourself. Who you are, what God called you for, what your destiny is. I believe all those things and more are actually pretty easy. You just need a little bit of help along the way. That's what I'm here for, your favorite radio reverend, the most popping podcast pope oh yes i am on not just live or on the radio you can find me on apple music spotify you can heck just look me up on google type in preach easy that's p-r-e-a-c-h space E-Z. it's just that simple you can tune into all of my easy listenings especially our past hallelujah series because today we are diving into hallelujah part four if you want to tune in and catch up with hallelujah part one two and three well you can go ahead I gave you how to do it. Spotify, Apple Music, Google, Preach Easy, and then you can catch up. But today we are talking about Hallelujah Part 4. We are diving into Psalms 149. Now, if you didn't know, Psalms 149 in the last five chapters of Psalms, they kind of work like a summary for Psalms, but really a summary for all of the Old Testament. But what makes them really special is that word Hallelujah that we all love. Well, it doesn't come up too often except outside of these last five Psalms. So we've been breaking them down to see what this Hallelujah word means. Today we're talking about, we're focusing in on Psalms 149. So if you got your Bible, you got your little app out. I'll give you the second. That was your second. And now we're about to dive in. Don't worry. You can pause me and come back later, especially if you're listening on a podcast or something else, and then you can take your notes that way. But right now, let's dive on in. So Psalms 149 starts off like all of the other last five Psalms of the Bible. They start off with hallelujah. But in your Bible, it may read praise the Lord. Now we learned in part number one, that's why you got to go back to hallelujah part number one. We learned that Hallelujah is a phrase originally. It's actually an invitation asking anybody who's listening to praise the Lord. So they say hallelujah, it's an invitation. Nowadays, hallelujah is the exclamation. It's it's what we do to praise instead of the invitation to praise. So now that we got that set up from hallelujah part one, go ahead, check it out, you know, pause and you come back. But let's go ahead and read Psalms 149. Praise the Lord or hallelujah, as they say, sing to the Lord a new song. God's praise in the assembly of God's faithful people. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise God's name with dancing and make music to God with timbrel and harp. For the Lord delights in God's people. God crowns the humble with victory. Let God's faithful people rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands to inflict vengeance 
on the nations and punishment on the peoples. To bind their kings with fetters, their nobles with shackles of iron. To carry out the sentence written against them. See, this is the glory of all God's faithful people. Praise the Lord, or hallelujah, as they say. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the author of Psalms, like we've said, especially the la- or the author of the last five chapters of Psalms, because we know Psalms is a collection of texts from across time, but these texts are meant to be the symbolic or the more picturesque, the pretty versions of how history goes. And what the last five chapters of Psalms do, the 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, and 50, what they do is they show... This summary, the growth and fall from Adam, the development of the Israelites, the raising of their King David, and now their exile and return to the God. See, the last five chapters of Psalms work as a summary, and they praise and preference the start and the finish of each of the last five as praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's this invitation that becomes an exclamation. This invitation asking you to begin this journey with God that eventually leads to you exclaiming the goodness that God did in your life. We learned that in Hallelujah Part 1. In Hallelujah Part 2, we learned the difference between praise and laments. We learned that the majority of, or at least a strong half, of the Psalms in the book of Psalms are actually laments, not praises. See, a lament is the expression of this negative or painful emotion, whether in dance, in arts, or some other expression. The same way how praise is this expression of positive emotion, whether through art or dance or some other form or kind. We learn that praise and lamentations are two sides of the same coin and that God looks and acts for both of these when we interact and develop this relationship. And Hallelujah, part three, we learn that it's not just humans that are invited to this, but all of creation, the sun, the moon, the animals that exist, all are invited to both praise and lament to go from this journey of invitation to exclamation. And what Psalm 149 does is Psalm 149 has flipped this. It's inverted how we've been taught this praise and lamentions, this um, invitation to exclamation journey. What 149 does is it flips it on its head. It switches it going from where before the prior three psalms introduced with the laments. The prior three psalms introduced with heartbreaks, with heartbrokenness, with the issues and the problems that were facing the Israelites. But this time in Psalms 149, it switches. And instead in 149, the author of this psalm starts off with praise. This author begins with praise to solidify what was taught in the last psalm. Where in the last psalm, all of creation was expected, was called, desired to praise God in whatever form they could. You had lions and tigers and bears, oh my, out here praising God along with the sun and the moon. But the psalmist here recognizes and double downs that you may not praise the same way that I praise. See, when the psalmist introduced in the last psalm, in 148, all of creation praising, it's easily understood that the sun doesn't praise like the dirt does. That I can't praise like an elephant does. Elephants come built in with a trumpet. I gotta go find one. See, 
The first point that the psalmist wants to show us is that praise looks different for everyone. But see, we learn in verse 3, let them praise God's name with dancing. Make music to him with timbrel and heart. Timbrels and hearts were an instrument that, were, that was introduced, especially after the exile of the Jews and Israelites from their, like, from their home place, from Judea. After that exile and the desecration of their first temple, they were left without a lot of cultural markers. And so this timbrel and harp likely were the versions that were introduced to the Judea people, the southern Israelites, after they were exiled and forced into Babylon. And so what it's showing is that the author is highlighting how these people, they developed and along this journey with God, where they had their ups and they had their downs, they had their lamentations and their praises, they developed new skills along this journey and they applied it to how they praise now. Praise looks different for everyone. It's largely based off of your relationship with God. Sometimes God speaks to you through dance. You can't dance, but you see God in it. Sometimes God speaks to you in silence. Sometimes you can praise through music, and sometimes you can praise with nothing around you. What the author is showing is that God delights simply in God's people, having the relationship to be there. Goes on and doubles this down in verse 5. It says, let God's faithful people rejoice in this honor, to have this relationship, to go back and forth, to be able to praise and be how you are, how God destined you to be. Goes on to say, and sing for joy on their beds. How I read it, how I understand it is, when I'm in my bed, I'm comfy. If I'm singing or doing something, I'm doing anything in my bed. It's comfy. It's my version of how I'm doing it. And so what the author is showing is that the level of praise, the comfortability, the authenticity that's given back and forth, that's what the relationship of God is built upon. Being real and giving over your authentic praise, not what you think is supposed to be, what it's supposed to sound like, not what you have heard it's supposed to look like, but what God has developed in you for it to be. And then the author takes this really weird left turn. I'm going to just be real with you. We go on and we start and we're talking about how God faithful and rejoices in this honor. People are singing for joy. And then that's verse five. Then we go to verse six and this is this left turn. And we immediately go to may the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands. Okay. We go on to continue and we're like to inflict vengeance on the nations. Okay. Punishment on the peoples to bind their kings with fetters. If you didn't know, that's just like a shackle and iron around your legs. Their nobles with shackles of iron. That would be the ones on your hands. And to carry out the sentences written against them. This is the glory of all God's faithful people. See, we take a quick left turn where we're talking about the praises. And then we kind of go into these laments. Now, my laments don't look like this. When, when I'm heartbroken and I'm hurt. I'm not looking, well, maybe, let me not lie. Okay, let me let me stop. When I am heartbroken and I'm lamenting, I, I feel this, I relate to this. I do have a little double-edged sword piece in me where I'm ready to attack and feel it, to inflict vengeance on the nations, but that doesn't feel comfortable. It feels off when reading it, and it almost makes me nervous. 
because I first read this to inflict vengeance on the nations and I think from my American perspective and being an American it comes with a lot of vengeance that's going out against the nation that you claim that you get simply from being born in this country and so Reading that, the deeper part of me as the American that's nervous about the actions of my nation or the actions of my people's groups makes me concerned and worried. Because I recognize that justice is a reality and justice isn't just if it only is for me. Justice can't be just for us. We have to recognize that justice is dualistic, that it has two sides always, that you will not always be on the side of justice. That is the state of being human, that we will make mistakes. If you didn't know, we did a sin series, and the sin original word for it is chata. Chata is C-H-A-T-A, and it just means to miss the mark. When you miss the mark, if you miss a bow and arrow, because that's like how we explain it for Chata, you, you miss the mark. It's like there's a target there and you're aiming with a bow and arrow. If you miss that shot with the bow and arrow, the arrow has to go somewhere. And for sometimes that arrow, it can miss and hit nobody and you're safe. But sometimes, even on the mistake, even a miscalculation, that arrow can miss and hit somebody. There's a consequence directly tied to it. And that's what the author is showing. See, at the beginning, the author in verse 2 introduces, let Israel rejoice in their maker. And then goes on to say, let the people of Zion be glad in their king. For some of us, we would read that and be like, the author is just talking about the same group of people. And, and in essence, yes, the author is talking about two groups of Israelites. But when the author is saying, let Israel rejoice, the author is referring to the nation, the country, the kingdom that still exists and has boundaries that is Israel in the north. But then in the south, the people of Zion, the descendants of Solomon who stayed loyal to the following loyal, the bloodline of King David, well, they lost their home. The southern kingdom of Judea was destroyed and they were forced into this exile to be slaves to the Babylonians. And so they no longer had a country. They were not Israel, the state, or Judea, the kingdom. They were instead now just the people of Zion. See, for the Israelites, much of the book of Psalms, the Old Testament, these laments were in direct response to being exiled, in direct response to being taken over. But what the Israelites learn through this relationship, through this up and down of being exiled and then returning back to their home, this understanding that justice, that the God that they serve is constantly and consistently just. That justice isn't just for them. Yes, they were freed and released from their bondage. Babylon, which enslaved them, and Assyria, which harmed them and destroyed their temples, were eventually decimated and fell to the ages. Justice was served, but so was justice served onto the Israelites beforehand. See, it was justice that actually handed the Israelites over into the Assyrian hands, into Babylonian arms, because it was the Israelites that had broken their covenant with God. It was the Israelites who had committed chada, who had missed the mark, who were aiming down their bow and arrow, had the sights ready, and missed it. 
the consequences that came with it. But instead of correcting it, instead of trusting and going on the relationship, starting over with their hallelujah invitation and working through laments and working through praises, instead they doubled down. And so justice was served. The number one thing that we have to realize is that to be a part of the solution, we have to be aware of the parts of the problem in which we are. The Israelites going through their exile, the nation of Israel going through their subjugation of their, under Assyria showed them the parts of themselves that were a part of the problem. And so in order to become more of the solution, they had to work and release the parts of them that were a part of the problem. But they couldn't do that in absence of having this communication, this internal look that they have with God. When they praise, when they discuss and look at things, they're becoming vulnerable. When they praise in the ways that they do, whether it's dance or timbrel or harp, When they express themselves in a way that makes them comfortable, they're able to be vulnerable. So then they can share the lamentations with God. Now, some of the lamentations are heartbrokenness. But some of the lamentations, the negative emotions that they're expressing, some of the reasons is because they're heartbroken. But sometimes it's because they're the heartbreaker. See, the Israelites had to internally look and see what actions did we take that put us in here? What actions did we take? When did we commit the chada? When did we miss the mark and find ourselves here? How do we find our part of the problem and become the solution instead? If you want to be a part of the solution, you have to look and see what part of the problem you play in. The Israelites were eventually reunited The northern nation of Israel and the southern people of Zion came eventually back together before eventually being exiled once again from their home. But in this point, in this split second, the author captures how for a moment they're united. They may praise different, some with dance, some with timbrel and harp. They may lament different for different reasons. Some will lament over racism while others lament over substance abuse. Some will lament over homophobia while others will lament over the issues that are always unheard. But at the end, they can come together in a community, as the first verse says, a praise in the assembly of faithful people. It will be a new song, but it will be an authentic song, a constant song, a just song. Your praises and laments may look different from each other, but recognizing that your praise is just one side of the same coin that lament is on the other side of. Recognizing that justice doesn't work if it works just for us. And so if God is going to be a God that delivers blessings and heals the brokenhearted, then sometimes that means that us as God-fearing people have to recognize when we break hearts. And if we want to say that we're committed to being better than we were yesterday, then that means we have to expect better than we expected yesterday. Your praises yesterday may have been good for yesterday, but your laments for today have to be for your development for tomorrow. Your expressions of of anger, your expressions of negative emotions shouldn't be found in somebody else breaking your heart. That's fine and that's dandy. Hand it over to God. But you should develop and get better to where your laments then become, I've fallen, I've hurt someone, I've broken their heart. Now I'm lamenting because I recognize that I expected better 
for myself. If I want to give the solution, I have to stop being a part of the problem. This is your favorite radio reverend letting you know hallelujah is your invitation. Starts off as an invitation praise and becomes exclamation. This is your point to join that invitation, to take your laments, turn them into prayers. Those praise may turn back into laments, but as long as you stay with the journey, with the relationship with God, even the Israelites had their down points. Even the Israelites were exiled for their chada when they missed the mark. But as long as you stay in the relationship, making a commitment to being better than you were yesterday, making a commitment to constantly believing that the same God that worked with the Israelites through all their ups and downs, their their issues, their betrayals. The same God that saw them and said they're worth saving is the same God that looks at you and says you're worth saving. This is your invitation to start that relationship. Hallelujah is your invitation to praise. Turn your lamentations into praise and keep the relationship going. This is your favorite radio reverend, Preach Easy. Praying for you until I see you again. Signing off.